over the next four weeks, we're going to work through this series on hope. And we're going to cover a lot of ground. We're going to look at, uh, today we're going to look at the way society presents hope and the way that uh, the Bible um, displays that picture. We're going to examine what marks, what characteristics mark a hope-filled life. We're going to explore how we can be hope-filled in the midst of difficult circumstances. And we're going to look at this, uh, the way that the Bible speaks about the hope that we have in Christ. And so we're going to cover all of that ground, but our uh, key verse for the series is going to be this one in Romans 15 and 13. Now I encourage you, if you've got your Bibles with you, you might like to open it, put your little ribbon thing in that page, because we're going to come back to this um, over and over again. Um, uh, you can bookmark it in your phone or whatever. Now it comes at a bit of a weird spot in the book of Romans, because it's kind of tucked away, not at the beginning, not at the end, not even in the middle like James uh, said last week, that there was significance in that position, but it is kind of, there's a bit more afterwards, but this is a really important point. Because what Paul has done to this point is he's been talking to the church in Rome, not dissimilar to us, in fact, they were in a time of relative peace, um, but God knew what was coming. Three years later, Nero um, started uh, killing and murdering and persecuting Christians in Rome. It was horrible and harrowing, and yet God knew that, and he speaks through Paul at this point. And this point, uh, Romans 15 13, marks the end of Paul's teaching to the church in Rome. Before this, he's been teaching. After this, he goes in and deals with some personal matters and talks about where he's going to travel and those kinds of things. But this marks the end of his teaching to the church in Rome. And there is some significance in this word, um, uh, in this passage because Paul does what he often did. He finishes with a, a benediction, a prayer um, for them. And he says this, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to get you, because uh, we're going to do this for four weeks, I'm going to get you to now read it with me, like the kids' memory verse, okay? And then you can tell your kids later that we read it together. So you ready? Here we go. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I wonder if you've heard it said that humans can live for 70 days without food. I, going through lockdown, couldn't live for seven minutes without raiding the pantry. So, but you can. You can. You can live for 70 days without food. You can actually live for 10 days without water. Now, my kids can't last a trip to the shops for 10 seconds without saying, oh, I'm thirsty. It's something about getting to the shops that means that they just all of a sudden become absolutely parched. But you can last 10 days. I've tried telling them they don't believe me. You can last 10 days without water. You can last six to eight minutes without air. But the saying goes that you can't live a second without hope. It's hope that energizes us. It's hope that fills us with resolve, that gives us this expectation, this anticipation of a better tomorrow. I remember reading this story about these fishermen and they'd been out at sea and they were in their boat and a storm came up and it tipped over and they were knocked into the water and they uh, spent several days clinging to this upturned vessel. They didn't... Um, 
they didn't sleep because they'd fall into the water. They had nothing to eat and nothing to drink. And after a couple of days of this harrowing time, this boat passes by and it rescues them. And this was a true story, a newspaper article I found. And they asked one of the fishermen, what kept you going? You were in the middle of nowhere. No one knew that you were gone. The likelihood of being found was pretty slim. What kept you going? And the fisherman replied, the thing that kept us going was hope. That just maybe someone might come along and rescue us. It was hope that inspired them to keep on holding on. We're living in the midst of the first global pandemic in a hundred years, and, and that's been um, a fairly uh, difficult experience for many people in so many different ways. Um, and I wonder how it's been for you. But what we know is that hopefully the end is in sight, but we don't know what that's going to look like. We don't know when that day is coming, but it's looking closer and closer. Um, but if we look back over the last kind of two years since this became a thing, we see so many examples of hopeless lives. People who are devoid of hope. I wonder if you remember back that all the rage, the videos doing the rounds on social media of like literally these decent people who were normally very respectful and calm, literally wrestling for toilet paper in supermarkets. What is that? It's, it's a lack of hope. It's a fear of what the future might hold. We've seen small uh, people, uh, small business owners lose businesses, lose their homes. We've seen uh, people who have been disconnected and isolated and away from family and, and uh, really struggling with the difficult circumstances. But it's not just the pandemic. You see, that's been a significant thing. But in the last 18 months, if you look around our world, what, have, what else have we, have we seen? We've seen people marching the streets with this cry for racial justice, a cry really for hope um, after some really horrible circumstances, a hope that uh, people would be treated as equals. We've seen uh, just last year alone 80 million people flee their homes in hope that somewhere there might be a safe space. 80 million refugees last year alone. We've seen the lots and lots of studies and lots of um, data talking about the impact of humans on our environment and the way that that is um, damaging and, and uh, destroying our natural world. We've seen lots of these things, haven't we? We've seen people crying out for hope. That just maybe there's better days ahead. But you see, it's not even the last two years and there is good stuff coming. So if you're sitting there, you're all looking a little bit, um, you know, frowny. Uh, but there is good stuff coming, I promise. But we've seen, even in Australia, which you would think is one of the most um, blessed nations, it is a safe space for most of us. It is fairly wealthy for most of us, not all. We have access to world-class hospitals, to excellent education, uh, to um, services and amenities uh, that most other places in the world don't even dream of. I remember last year whinging to Cindy because our local park wasn't as good as the local park a few suburbs over. I mean, doesn't that tell you how good we have it as a society? And so you'd think of all the people who ever lived if that is what it took to be living hope-filled lives, that we would be fine, that we would have what we needed to be hope-filled. And yet, the statistics don't really support that, do they? 
The statistics tell us that one in six Australians are suffering with depression or anxiety or both. The statistics tell us that the two largest killers of 15 to 44-year-olds in Australia relate to self-harm and to substance abuse. It's incredible, isn't it? And I don't want to oversimplify a complex problem because if that's your journey today, um, you certainly are encouraged to seek help and and to speak with professionals and, and to let us know so we can support you through that. But what we see is that while that is certainly part of a solution for you, that the solution for all of us as well is that there is an abiding and an enduring hope that comes through knowing Christ. There is an abiding, enduring hope that the Bible speaks about because our streets, our suburbs, our workplaces, I would suggest to you perhaps even our families have a hope problem, that they have a hope problem. I was thinking about the types of hope that we see in society. And I'd suggest to you that there's probably two uh, types. You might come up with others and you can let me know. But there's two types of hope. The first one is a hope that is wishful thinking. We've probably all experienced this. If you thought you were going to get into the new Lego store on its opening weekend, that was wishful thinking because that queue was ridiculous. Um, No criticism if you did line up. Good for you. Uh, But that is wishful thinking. If you think you can go to Civic on Christmas Eve and get a spot out the front, it is wishful thinking. This is why thousands and thousands of people every week buy lottery tickets. Even when the statistics tell us you're more likely to get struck by lightning twice than win the lottery, and yet our wishful thinking, if just only maybe, it's that someone's got to win it. Maybe it'll be me. Our wishful thinking, that hope, tells us that perhaps that'll be you. But what do we find? Is that more often than not, that type of hope, it fills us with this rush of excitement, but leaves us with disappointment. The second type of hope is hope that is based on a reasonable expectation. So perhaps you have um, applied for a job and you've been eminently qualified and you've known people on the panel and you know, you've had your interview and it's been really positive. You would have hope, a reasonable expectation that there was going to be a good outcome for you. If you're a gardener and you plant an apple tree in your backyard and you water it and you tend to it and you look after it, you would have a, a hope, a reasonable expectation unless you're me and you garden like me, you'd have a reasonable expectation that you'll get apples off that apple tree. There is hope that is a reasonable expectation. But what we see, even with that, is that even though it's maybe likely, there is also the outcome, and we've all experienced, that maybe what we expect, that reasonable expectation, won't come to pass. That we will have our hopes dashed. And this is where I want to contrast A biblical hope, because it is dynamically, completely different to either of those two types of hope. And we shouldn't be surprised by that, because the Bible often stands in stark contrast to the concepts and the ways that we think about things as a human society. You think about uh, forgiveness, you think about generosity, you think about all of those kinds of things. There is a way that the world thinks about it, and there is the way that the Bible speaks and tells us about it. And so I tell you that a biblical hope is hope that is a firm, secure, and sure foundation. You see, the Bible speaks of a hope that is um, always prevailing, ever pervasive, continually persistent. 
It speaks of a hope that isn't dependent on our imaginings, isn't uh, guided by the odds of what is likely to occur. It is a hope that is an indication of something that is a certainty, even if it isn't yet a reality. And you see, the Bible speaks of this. And Paul, through this key passage that we're going to keep coming back to, actually gives us a guide um, of how we can consider and how we can look at biblical hope. And so if we look at it again, it says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're taking notes today, I want to tell you about this verse. The first thing is, it tells us that God is the source of hope. God is the source of hope. What does Paul say? I pray that God, the source of hope. You see, we go seeking hope in so many places. We go seeking hope in our careers. I wonder if you've been in that space where you've... um, your whole world has fallen apart because you maybe didn't get that promotion or that opportunity that you thought was coming to you. We put our hope in material possessions, in things that will lose their shine, uh, lose their, their gleam. We put our hope even in other people. We are convinced that a certain person will never let us down, that they will always have our best interests at heart, and yet we see that time and time again that if we're putting our hope in those things that we will be disappointed. The writer of Lamentations, and James was speaking about this last week in verse 3, 24, says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is my portion. The Lord is at the center of my life. He is my firm foundation that won't shift, that won't change, that that isn't based on emotions or the seasons of my life. He is a um, sure and secure platform foundation on which to build my hope. He's the never-ending supply of hope that I need. The second thing that Paul tells us is that we can have hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. There is the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to overflow with hope. I love the fact that he uses that term, and I hope it jumps out to you as well, because he's not talking about a little bit of hope. He's not talking about a hope that is just enough for you, that is just enough to get you through the next day. He is talking about lives. His prayer is that we would have lives that overflow with hope, that spills out, that isn't hidden, but spills out and touches the people around us. And how do we do that? We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, Ephesians 4.22 says that we are to throw off our sinful nature and instead to let the Spirit renew our thoughts and our attitudes. You see, being a people who are naturally sinful, that we are affected by that sinful nature, Paul tells us that you actually need to have your minds renewed. You need to start thinking and seeing things differently, and you can't do that by yourself. That's why he says, let the Spirit renew our minds. A lot of the self-help 
um, stuff is all about you renewing your mind, you changing the way that you think, you taking control over um, all the things around you by uh, even just speaking positively. But the Bible tells us that it is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that your mind will actually be renewed, that your thoughts and your attitudes will be dynamically changed. And in doing so, you'll be able to overflow with hope. The third thing that Paul tells us, it is through our faith in God that we have hope. He he tells us that we will be filled with joy and with hope because we trust in him. We trust in him. It's our faith in God that reminds us that he will do what he says he will do. That even when it looks unlikely, even when the odds are stacked against you, that God's word remains true. That you can be assured and certain of the character of God. Hebrews 10.23 tells us, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. And what the writer of Hebrews is talking about is our restoring salvation that comes through Christ. And so God, if God will be sure to keep his promise that you have been saved and that you will ultimately will be healed of all things and be restored into relationship with him for eternity, if he will keep his promise on that, wait and see, but he will keep his promise on all of his other promises, all the other things that he has spoken. And so it's our faith in God in the midst, particularly of those difficult times, that enables us to live hope-filled lives. Just a few chapters before, Paul has said in Romans 8.28, and you probably know this verse, but he said, we know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love him and accord according to his purpose for them. You see, God can use every moment. He can use every difficulty, every challenge, every hurdle for your good. And you can have faith and you can trust that he will do that. And when you do, then you will have a life overflowing with hope. And lastly, Paul tells us that it's hope that causes joy and peace in our lives. And in turn, that joy and peace causes hope. You see, when you can be joyful and have peace in each circumstance, your hope, your faith is built. What does the world say when things are going wrong or people have wronged you or or, or, um, uh, acted against you? It says be angry. It says get even. It says do what you need to do to feel like you've sorted that problem out. But what do we read in the Bible is that if we put our hope in God, if we can demonstrate joy and peace when it doesn't make sense, when the, the thing that makes sense is to be angry, the thing that makes sense is to get even, the thing that makes sense is to go after that person and give them a mouthful. But what, what we see is that when we are able to deal with those people or those situations with joy and peace, that shows us and testifies to us that God is at work in our lives. It reminds us that God is actually transforming our minds and doing a new thing. And so I'd encourage you, over the course of this series, we are going to unpack hope. We are going to look at the way that the Old Testament authors spoke about hope, the the different words that they used and how that can shape our understanding of it. We're going to look at uh, some really difficult parts of of Scripture and, and see what the biblical authors said about how to get through them. And then we're going to look at 
the impact that Jesus has in our lives. But in doing that, I want to encourage you that if you're struggling with hope today, if you're sitting there thinking, yes, I know this and, you know, it's been told to me and people have, um, you know, said, I'll oh, just have a bit more hope and you'll get through, that you are actually in really, really good company. Because what we see is that many of the key figures of Scripture at times in their lives had a bit of a hope problem. King David, his, the Psalms are riddled with hopeless nights from King David. What about Elijah or Moses or, or Job? Uh, scripture is full of people who in the natural felt hopeless, but in God found a renewing of their spirits. And that's my encouragement to you is that even if you are thinking, I feel so hopeless. I don't know how I can sit there and listen to hope for the next couple of weeks. The thing that will transform you is God's word and his spirit at work in your life. And so I'd encourage you to seek him. I'd encourage you to spend time in prayer. Even if you don't know what to say, just pray this prayer. That God, the source of hope, will fill you with an overflowing hope. And just watch and see that he is true to his word, because he will do it. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that your word is full of hope. That in every page, in every chapter, Lord God, it testifies to you. That right from the start, Lord, as we open and we read about um, human sin and their betrayal of you, uh, Lord, that even you speak in the midst of that about the promise hope to come through the Messiah. Lord God, we thank you that you are a God of hope, that you are a God that it doesn't just want to leave us roaming around living hopeless lives, but rather that you have promised and given us your Holy Spirit and promised that your Holy Spirit is at work, promised that when we submit ourselves to you, that the Holy Spirit is renewing our minds, is transforming us, is filling us with a hope that overflows. And Lord, we thank you for that. We pray particularly today for those who might be feeling hopeless. Lord God, that you would draw near to them, just as your word promises that as we draw near to you, Lord, that you draw near to us. Father, that you would put people around them to encourage them to speak words of life into their spirits. And Lord, just as Paul did as he spoke to the Roman church, Father, we finish with this. We pray that God, the source of hope, will fill each one of you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.